Hallelujah. First Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, what we're looking at here is right after the apostle Paul is, is disclosing this about the rapture, he gets into verse number 1 talking about the time in which Jesus is coming back. How many of you know, if you listen or watch on TV or read anything, a lot of people are stirred up about Jesus coming back. Amen? You know why? Because Jesus is coming back. Hallelujah. Amen. He's not still in the grave. He's, he's, he's alive today, and I believe it's coming really soon. I believe in the imminent return of Jesus Christ. And when he comes back the second time, he's not going to come back in a place of humility, but he's going to come back to be exalted by all of creation. Amen. It's going to be an, an amazing time. But one of the things that we see here is that the, the apostle brings to light something in verse number one. He says, but the times and of the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. In other words, not everybody is going to see and understand and know the times in which they live. There are going to be some people that are caught unaware. A thief in the night never knocks on the door and says, hey, I'm here to steal your TV. The, the, the thief comes when you're not watching. Amen? And the world's not watching right now. The world is not watching right now. What are we watching? Well, there's a lot of that, and we're going to get into it. We are preoccupied with the things going on in life instead of being occupied by the author of life. And what we see is that the Lord is sending this rebuke here and he's, he's saying, don't you remember that the Lord's going to come like a thief in the night? No thief that I know of has ever knocked on the front door. I suppose it's possible, but more often than not, the thief comes when you're not watching and where you're not watching which is one of the things that we see here. Watch what happens in verse 3. It says, for when, we, for when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction come up upon them, as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Peace and safety is the hallmark of the, the religion of the last days. People are seeking peace in anything other than Jesus. And when you seek that, you begin to open yourself up to the influence of the demonic world. And, and don't mistake yourselves that the, the, the spirit of the Antichrist is already at work in the world today according to 1 John chapter number 4. The spirit of the Antichrist is already at work in governments, in monetary systems, and in religion. When you see people moving into that ecumenical movement to get into a one-world religion, a one-world government, and a one-world monetary system, you are seeing the fabric, the foundation, the laying down of the, the, the Antichrist. As the beast rises up out of the water, it says in, in the book of Revelation chapter 13, as that beast rises up out of the water, he's going to be given dominion over the earth. Dominion over everything. And right now, people are beginning to get into that place where they want government to do everything for them. And that is a dangerous place to be. 
when we allow the government to tell the church when it can meet, where it can meet, how it can meet, how long it can meet, and what to do when we meet, we've gotten into some bad territory. When the government can tell a church what it can preach and can't preach, you're in bad territory. Now, thankfully, right now in America, we can still preach what we want to preach. Hallelujah, we're preaching it right now. But there are places on the earth today where you can't preach what the Word of God says without being imprisoned. Now, and we just saw this just recently with a minister in England and one in uh, Canada who just recently in prison for preaching the truth. But the world is looking for peace and safety in that which is not God, which is your first clue that this is not going to turn out well. Whenever you begin to look for peace and safety in that which is not God, you are running right into the hands of the devil, right into the hands of destruction. It says in verse number four, but you brethren are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. What do you think it is that gives you light so that you know when the Lord's coming? It's, it's the word of God. It's the word of God and the spirit of God that will give you discerning of the spirit to know the day and hour in which you live. Look up, your redemption draws nigh. The Lord is soon to return. The clouds will part, the sky will break, and the Lord will descend. And the dead in Christ will rise, and we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them. So shall we meet the Lord in the air. Amen? What we see, what we see is that the Lord has left us light to live by. The Lord has left us light to live by. The light is the Word of God and the Spirit of God. He did not leave us without a comforter. He did not leave us without a helper. He did not leave us without a counselor. Jesus said He would send another comforter to you. He said He would send another helper, another one that would lead you and guide you into all truth. God doesn't want you to be caught off guard in the dark when he returns god wants you to be ready primed amen Amen. i heard one church they would just start jumping up and down just ready to lift off amen sometimes we you know but the lord doesn't need us help he doesn't need us to prime that jump when he descends and the dead in christ go up you going up too amen he doesn't need us to help that jump the power of god's going to lift you off this earth Amen. And we're going to be caught up together with Jesus. Can you imagine the beauty of that day, the splendor of that day when the risen King Jesus parts the skies and he calls his own to himself, those that have believed not what their eyes see in this earth, but what their faith speaks, what the Word of God speaks, what the Spirit of God speaks, when he honors and, and, and glorifies those risen children of God and, and, and those that are uh, laid down in corruption are raised incorruptible with that resurrected body. That day is coming soon. And God here is showing you that He didn't leave you as a child of darkness so that you wonder about just from this teacher to that teacher, from this teaching to that teaching, from this church to that church, from this YouTube video to that YouTube video, bouncing here, bouncing there, looking for answers everywhere except for the Word of God and the Spirit of Truth. God wants you to know definitively what he's going to do and what he wants you to do. Now, what we see here as we continue in this, very important part, very important part. Pay attention right here. 
He says, you are not in darkness that the day should overtake you as a thief. You are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. In other words, you, you, you belong to the Lord. It is a heritage that God's given you light to live in, to walk in, and to know. God, as a heritage, has given you this light. Verse number 6. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. They that be drunken are drunken in the night. I want you to see something right here. This is a spiritual reference to a physical reality. The spiritual reference that he's talking about right here is watching and being sober is, is, sober is a spiritual truth that God is teaching us. God does want you to watch. He does want you to be sober, yes, but you don't have to keep your eyes open physically, literally 24 hours a day. There's a spiritual truth that he's talking about. He's telling you to watch spiritually. He's telling you to be sober spiritually. Why is that? Because if he doesn't tell us, guess what? We're not going to watch and we're not going to be sober. And I'm, not, I'm, I'm talking about spiritually. What does it take to be spiritually sober? It takes someone who is aware of what's going on and understands what about the world is intoxicating them and pulling them away from Jesus. To be spiritually sober means that you're aware of what's taking you away from sobriety. If you understand that if you drink too much of this, you're going to be intoxicated, guess what? Don't drink too much of that. And when it comes to this spiritual reality, there are many, many things that go on in the world today that cause the church to be drunken with the world. They cause the church to lose its sobriety and its watchful state that it's supposed to live in. Now, this, this is the end times teaching that the Apostle Paul is giving to the church. And one of the last things that he tells the church in Thessalonica is to be sober and to watch. Now, it's, it's not going to change whether the Lord comes back or not. What it's going to change is whether you're a wise virgin or a foolish virgin. Now, if you remember the story that the Lord gave, there was five foolish and five wise virgins. They, the, the, the bridegroom came in the middle of the night, and, and when the bridegroom came to knock, those five wise virgins, they had their lamps ready, they had, the, they had the oil in the lamp, and they were ready to go out to meet the bridegroom. They were ready to go out to meet the bridegroom. But there was five foolish. And when the Lord came, when they heard that the Lord was coming, they weren't ready. Why weren't they ready? Did they have time beforehand? Sure they did. Did they have the means? Sure they did. But they didn't have the desire they were unwatchful and they were unsober to the reality that the Lord could come at any time. That was the problem that they had. In, in other words, they got caught up in some kind of activity in that area that kept them from having their lamps ready for when the bridegroom came. And I want you to know the Lord desires us to have our lamps ready. 
I want you to know that the Lord desires us to have our lamps ready. There are many things that are, especially as we get closer to the return of Christ, there are many things that vie for our attention and our affection. And those things are trying to take you and intoxicate you so that you're no longer looking and watching for the return of Jesus Christ. As we see right now in the world today, there are many, uh, there are many uh, things that the world is, is coming up with to divide the church. The church is being divided in many different fronts right now. But I'm telling you this, that God is, God is sifting. God is sifting the wheat from the chaff right now. He is sifting right now, and what he's doing is he's getting a pure bride ready. And if you will pay attention to what the enemy's doing, then you'll be able to help others. And that's what God wants to do today. God wants to put in you a word so that you can turn around and help others be stirred up and be ready and be aware for what God is doing. Amen? <clears throat> now, one of the things that... that, that I wanted to point out right here is that a lot of times when you talk about being sober and watching, um, how many of you have ever had a kid and you begin to tell a kid some instructions? And, and I don't know if you if parents here know what I'm talking about. Grandparents, you especially know what I'm talking about. How many of you know whenever you talk to somebody and they fade out? You're on one channel and they're on a totally different channel. And you can tell. Like you're talking to them and you can tell they're on Mars. They're in a whole nother world. And everything that you're saying, they're not, they, they, all they hear is yep, yep, yep. And they shake their head, uh huh. And they say, yep. But they didn't catch nothing that you said. Every parent knows that reality. And you have to say, repeat back to me what I said, right? Repeat, repeat that back to me. Or what did I just tell you? You ask them a question and they begin to say, oh, what, what? Can you say that again, Dad? Can you say that again? But when you have something really important to tell your children, don't you make sure that they hear you? Don't you make sure that they hear you? When you have something really important, don't you make sure they're paying attention? Do you know that the Lord desires the same thing from us? The Lord desires our attention. The Lord desires our attention. In, in other words, when God begins to speak on the things of the end times, God is looking for those that perk up and say, Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. What is that, Lord? How do you want me to live, Lord? How do you want me to walk, Lord? How do you want me to order my life, Lord? The, the Lord's looking for those, but there are bound to be many times in our lives that we can relate to that. So when we see that the Lord's calling us to be watchful and to be sober, he's telling us to be prepared and to be attentive to what's going on spiritually. What's going on spiritually. Right now, there are many things vying for your affection and your attention. Your affection and your attention is being sought after by the world. Do you know that the devil knows that his time is short? Knows his time is short. And you know that he's not our play partner. He's our enemy. Peter says that he's our enemy. He walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may play with. Oh, wait, I meant devour sometimes we treat it like the devil just plays with us, like a dog plays with a chew toy. But his desire is to devour. Peter knows because the Lord is the one that told Peter, Satan has desire to sift you as wheat. And you know what Jesus did? He didn't forbid him from going through that sifting. 
He said, but Peter, I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you. The interceding Christ prayed for Peter and allowed him to go through that situation with the strength of prayer. And that's what got Peter through it. And that's what will get us through it. But the enemy has desired to devour the church as much as possible. And that's why we have to be aware. Uh, one of the things I want to do is take you over to Luke chapter 19. If you will, come with me over there to Luke chapter 19. Indifference and distraction causes a, a, a casual attitude, a, 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 a whatever kind of attitude into the church world. And as I said earlier, the, the, the five foolish virgins, when, if, if you would ask them, what, what did you spend your time on? You had plenty of time to get the oil in your lamp. I would, I would, I would say their answer would, would be that they ended up getting preoccupied with life. You, you know that instead of praying, you can watch TV? You can get a favorite TV show, and you can watch more TV than prayer. You can read novels and nonfiction books and fiction books and, and, and mystery books and science fiction books, and you can read all Western books. You can read books about the, you can read the encyclopedia. You can read books about how to plant flowers. You can read all kinds of things. And you know what? None of that's evil in and of itself, but if it preoccupies you from being in God, if it preoccupies your heart from being where it's supposed to be in God, then it is, a, it is something that the enemy has used. It is something the enemy has used to bring you into a place where you're no longer sober spiritually. Sometimes we can get too, too occupied with the wrong thing, with the wrong thing. I want to take you to a parable here in the, back, in the book of Luke. We're not going to read the whole thing, but we're going to just touch on the, the highlight of it. It says in Luke chapter 19, look at verse number 11. It said, and as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable, talking of Jesus, because he was nigh to Jerusalem, and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. So do you know that Jesus knew the plan, right? Jesus is eternally God. He's eternally existent. And as he's walking, as he's nearing Jerusalem, how, how many of you know that's what he came for? He, he came to be about the Father's business, did he not? And, and so when he set his face towards Jerusalem, nothing was going to stop him. And as he was getting closer to Jerusalem, I believe his heart began to break for his disciples because they just weren't understanding. They're like us. We just, we're, we're like sheep, just hitting every fence rail we don't know what to do where to go we end up getting ourselves in a bigger bind than we started out with and and i believe that his heart began to break and he knew that they weren't going to understand completely and he says that he gave this parable so that they knew as he comes to jerusalem because they were expecting the kingdom to be established right then but little did they know there was something going to be called the church age the time of the gentiles there was a church age that God had foreordained an, 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 an era of at least 2,000 years now that God was opening the door far and wide for every single person to come to the Lord by faith in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And that door was flung open when, when Christ was on that cross. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw 
all men. Not some men. He said, I'll draw all men. Red, yellow, black, and white, American, South American, Brazilian, whatever one kind of in you is. He said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to myself. Because we were all made, amen, by the same God. And we all have the same blood flowing through our veins. And we all need the same Savior. We all have the same sin problem. And we all have the same faith. Amen. Nobody gets saved any different. We all have the same Lord and God. And one of the things I want you to see right here is as, as his heart is, is going towards Jerusalem, he's also beginning to break for his disciples, which is any good leader. That's, he's, he's looking out for them. So many times we get caught up in all about our own affairs, what pleases us, and we, we get caught up in us. And we get caught up in, oh, I didn't like the temperature of this, and I didn't like the, the sound of that, and I didn't like the way this looked, and I didn't like the way that this made me feel. But Jesus' heart is for his people. Good leader right there. Amen? Now what happens here in, in this parable? Let's, let's look in the first part of this parable. He says, he said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. I don't know about you, but the book of Psalms, it describes this so beautifully. That the gates of heaven, when, and, and Daniel chapter 9 describes this so beautifully. When the Ancient of Days receives the Son of Man, and the, and, and the angels and everything in heaven begins to worship the Son of Man as He comes and He receives that kingdom in heaven. And what we see here is the Lord is, is breaking this into a parable. He said that He came to receive a kingdom and to what? Return. He came... Jesus went to heaven to receive a kingdom. You know that he was given a name above every name? That at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess? You know that he inherited that name above all names. Amen? He earned that name above all names. When he rose from the dead, he rose triumphant over death, hell, and the grave. And every demon, every angel, and every human is going to bow down and worship him and confess that he is God. And so he went to go get that kingdom, and he's going to return. Newsflash, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. His first mission he completed. He said it's finished, it was finished. Second mission is about to begin. Theologians call the first mission the humiliation of Jesus. He came to, to, to humbly go to the cross and bear our sins. The second time that he comes back, he's coming back to be glorified and exalted. That day's coming soon. And so it says in verse number 13, when, when he told them that he's going to go into a far country to receive himself a kingdom, that's him going to heaven, and to return, that's about to happen. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. It came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants be called to him to whom he had given the money that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Now, I'm going to stop right there for a second. I want you to see something. When the Lord comes back, he's coming back to judge the world, but he's also going to judge the church. 
He's going to judge the world, and he's also going to judge the church. There is, how many of you know that when he comes back, he's, he is going to judge the world because all those that have received the mark of the beast will die. All those that receive the mark of the beast will be cast in the lake of fire. And the church is going to be judged. What are we going to be judged by? It's called the Bema seat of Jesus Christ. It is the, 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 the judgment of the saints of God. How you fared as a believer. The Apostle Paul, he said that, that on this foundation of Jesus Christ, no, no man can lay any other foundation. you got to build on that foundation. Some people build wood, hay, and stubble. Others people, other people build with gold or silver or some other precious metal. In other words, some of us have hardly anything built up there. We have wood, hay, and stubble. And other people have precious stones built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. That's the judgment seat of Jesus that we all will face. What is it about it that we're looking at? I want you to focus on that word occupy. Jesus gave, Jesus gave a talent. He gave a treasure. He gave something to each servant. And if you're a child of God and, and you were indwelt by the Spirit of God, God has given you something that this world doesn't have. God has given you something that the world doesn't have. What is it? The Spirit of God. The light of glory. The, the Bible says that Christ in us, in the book of Colossians, Christ in you is the hope of glory. In other words, if you're a believer and the Spirit of God indwells you, there's something in you that is the hope of the world. We're not supposed to be kept up, pinned up like some chickens in a coop in a church. We're supposed to be scattered out amongst the world, shining as lights in the dark world. God is going to use you to influence those around you. God's plan, listen, is for you to go and to occupy territory for your king. Occupy. That's the word. Occupy. How do you occupy territory for Jesus? Do you know that you can occupy territory in your home? There are, there, there are ways that you can occupy territory in your home, and there's ways that you cannot. Sometimes you can release that occupation. You know, as, as a father, I have the ability to tell my children, hey, you're not watching that in this house. You, you're not going to talk like that in this house. You're not going to dress like that in this house. You're not going to act like that in this house. What am I doing? I'm occupying for the king. This is, look, we belong to the Lord. This is the Lord brought this family in. The Lord gave us this house. We belong to the Lord. We're going to live like it. We're going to talk like it. We're going to act like it. We're going to look like it. But, but you see, you can also take a step back and let the spirit of the world have its way in your, even in your own home where there's no peace, where, where there's no presence of God, where things are chaotic, where, where the spirit of, of the Antichrist rules and reigns. And I want, you to, I want to tell you something, that, that it is infiltrating every area of media right now. There is hardly anything that you can watch on television that is not being infiltrated by the devil, by the Antichrist system. I, I, I remember one, one old minister that I was, I was talking to, he said he went, I think he was 82 or 84. He still preaches, by the way. 82 or 84. He said, I've been, I've been preaching the Word of God for over 60 years, and I've never in my life seen any kind of 
you know, pornography, any kind of sodomy, anything like that. And he said he was sitting in the doctor's office, watched the TV, and his two men kissing. First time in his whole life he saw that. But they're pumping this stuff not only on TV and doctor's offices, but they're pumping it into schools, they're pumping it into children's programs, pumping it everywhere. Now, I'm just talking about one little fabric, by the way. This, this kind of stuff is going on in, in, in every single facet of life today. And the church, by and large, is asleep at the wheel. God called us to watch and to be sober, but by and large, the church is asleep at the wheel. You know what we're, more, we're preoccupied with? We're preoccupied with water in our grass. We're preoccupied with what we wear. We're preoccupied with what we drive, how many boats we have, how, how, you know, did we wax our car this week or was it last week? I need to do that this week. We get occupied with so many things in life except for, except for occupying space for the king. We get preoccupied. I want to tell you something. If you allow the world to preoccupy you, you'll never be full of the presence of God. If you allow the world to preoccupy your heart, you'll never be full of the presence of God. God, God is, is a jealous God. Look what he says. He said, occupy till I come. What are some ways that you, that, that you occupy? The, the, the Spirit of God in you, staying on fire for God. D.L. Moody, he was asked one time by somebody that he led to the Lord. She said, uh, this lady said, well, what all do I have to give up? Because, you know, once you lead some people to the Lord, that's the first question. What all do I have to give up? I mean, what a, what, tell me what to do. Tell me how to live. And he said, look, if, if you just continue in this new faith that you have, the world will tell you what it's against. If, if you just walk with the Lord, the, you'll, what you'll see, and what he meant by that is, now that you're going upstream, you don't have to worry about it. You're going to be seeing everything else go downstream. The, the world is going downstream. And once you, begin, once you get saved and you repent, you believe on the Lord Jesus, and you begin to live for him, you'll be going upstream, and the world will tell you every single thing about you that it doesn't like. It will, if you live for the Lord. Now, if you compromise, that's a totally different enchilada. If, if you compromise, you're going downstream with the world. And that's one of the problems that we see in the church world today. Is that so many people, they don't want to cause, they don't want to cause conflict. They don't want to cause turmoil. They don't want to rock the boat. They just want to, uh, you know, zip their lips and let the ship sink. You know, we see the church world today is kind of like, we're, we're kind of like on the Titanic. You can see the world today beginning to sink. You can see it beginning to sink because of all the sin that's in it, the evil that's in it is beginning to sink. And, and it doesn't take a rocket scientist to, to see this. You can look at anything, right? You can look at anything. I remember right now a story, this captain went to go uh, save somebody that had been wrecked at sea for three years, and, and uh, they, they came to the island, and he said, I'm so thankful that you came to get me. Thank the Lord. And he said, well, hold on. Before you get on the boat and come back, I want you to read the newspaper just so you can see if you want to come back. Because the world changes, and it gets worse every year. The closer we get to the return of the Lord, the more that the devil is influencing the world. He's influencing it in every single area. He said, hey, you might want to just look at the newspaper and make sure you want to come back. 
Because you might be better off where you're at. But what we see in our lives is God has called us to burn. God has called us to burn for his kingdom. The, the, what do I mean by that? That the light of God would shine in your life. There's people around you that need to see God in you. I understand that you want to hurry up and be the first one in traffic. I understand you want to cut people off and you want to be the first one at the light, first one here, first one there. I understand that you want to do, but you know what? There's people around you that need to see God in you. You're not here to be the first one at the red light. And you're not here to be the first one off the block. You're here to influence people for Jesus Christ. You're here to occupy for His kingdom till He returns. Ask yourself, where is it in life that you're occupying territory for the king? Or are you occupying territory for self? I'm going to share with you a couple of ways that we can occupy for the king, and then I'm going to share with you a couple of ways that we occupy for self, and then we're going to deal with it. One of the things that we see here is that we're, we're called to have the, 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 the glory of God in us, the Spirit of God indwelling in us. Another way that you can occupy territory for the king is to share the gospel. Share the gospel. Well, pastor, I did that 15 years ago. Okay. Let's share the gospel this week. Let's make it a point to share the gospel this week. Some of the greatest uh, men and women that lead people to the Lord, they, they will pray for one person a day to lead to Christ. Do you know that there's one, there's one problem with that? In order to lead somebody to Christ, you might have to share the gospel with them. You might have to open your mouth and tell them that there's a God that loves them. That there's sin that separated them from that God. That there's only one God, and that one God came to the earth 2,000 years ago and paid for their sins on the cross of Calvary, died, and rose from the dead on the third day, and is coming soon. You might have to open your mouth and share that gospel with people that don't have it. And that's one way that you can occupy territory for the king. That's one of the reasons God has you here. Do you know that, that God's... And, well, pastor, I'm not an evangelist. No, you're not. You're a child of the king. You have the same Holy Spirit that an evangelist has. Whenever the Holy Spirit gives gifts and callings to the, to the people, you know what he does that for? He doesn't do that so that you can just have it. He does it so that the kingdom can advance through you. I don't know what your gift is, but I know why God gave you the gift. I don't know what the calling is on your life, but I know why God has called you. I don't know if it's a teacher or a preacher, an evangelist, an apostle. I don't know what it is, but I know why he did it. I know why God saved you, because he loves you. And I know why he put his spirit in you. It's because he wants to guide you. And I know why he's kept you here on this earth and not called you home yet, because he wants to use you to occupy territory for his kingdom. Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Sharing the gospel, you can even do it with the track. You can pass out pieces of paper with the gospel on it. You can use your mouth. You can pass out CDs, MP3s. You can give people, uh, you know, links, hyperlinks to a website, whatever it is. God can use you in many different ways. You might be very good at, at writing. You might be very good at speaking. But I know this, God has you here for a purpose, and that is to occupy to occupy for his kingdom, not our own, not our own. 
not our own. One of the other ways that you can occupy territory for the kingdom is just simply by attending church. Just simply by attending church does a number of things. Number one, we, we come to church not so that we can get our name on a roll. That's not the roll I want my name on. Not that I wouldn't mind it, but I want my name on the roll up yonder. But the reason that we attend church is, A, to honor the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But you know what the Lord tells us in the book of Hebrews? Not to forsake the assembling of yourselves, what? Together, as the manner of some is. But you know what we're supposed to do? Encourage one another. Just simply by you attending a service to honor the Lord, there's other like-minded believers there that you can encourage, that you can say, hey, it's so good to see you worshiping Jesus. You know, one of the best things that ever happened to me when me and my best friend, we were saved and we, got, we were filled with the Spirit on the same time, and, and his mom looked at us and she said, Jesus looks really good on you. Because she had seen us living for the world and living for self and being full of the world. She said, Jesus looks good on you. And it was something that, that it just went all over me like hot melted butter. I mean, it just went all over me. But you know that you can sow a word of encouragement into somebody's life. So you may not go on the mission field in, in, in Indonesia. You may not go on the mission field in Syria. Although, hey, if you want to, we're going to help you do that. But, uh, but you may not be doing those things, but what you can do is sow a word of encouragement to others, and you never know what it could do to them. You could be speaking to somebody that's going to become a pastor at some church or a, an evangelist somewhere. You could be speaking to somebody that's holding on by one thread. You could be speaking to someone who's just about to give up. And by you attend, you could be, you know what? You could wax your truck for the third time this week on Sunday morning. You could. But you chose to get up and to come to service and honor Jesus. And while you're there, you can sow a word of encouragement into somebody else and tell them you're so glad to see them worshiping Jesus. Or maybe God's given you a prophetic word for them or maybe just a prayer for them. Maybe just squeeze their hand and say, hey, you know what, I know things have been hard for you, but God put it on my heart to pray for you. Let me, let me hold your hand and pray with you. You never know what that could do for somebody. And what would you be doing at that point? You would be occupying territory for his kingdom. You would be laying up treasure in heaven, not here on earth. Here on earth, if your truck is waxed three times a week, you would have the admiration of men. But if you would encourage a downtrodden saint of God, you would have the admiration of heaven. And God wants us to occupy for His kingdom now. We only get one time of this. I was reading a, a, a guy the other day about prayer, and, and, and he was saying prayer is not going to work in eternity. Prayer will not work in eternity. Prayer is for before you get there. Think about it. Because once we get into heaven, we're going to be with the Lord. He's going to dry every tear from our eyes. There's going to be no sorrow, no sickness. There's not even going to be a shadow of turning. The light of His glory is going to outshine the sun. The other thing that you can do to occupy territory for your king is to have family worship. Family worship. Well, pastor, I don't have a family. Well, you have a church family. 
Invite somebody else that don't have a family to your house. Be a family together. Be two sisters. Be two brothers. You know, some of the best times of prayer I ever had in my life was, you know, before we got married and, and I was single and I had godly friends. And we, we would get together on Saturdays and we would pray in the Spirit and we would talk about things that we were going through and, and things that we were struggling with. And we would literally, as young men, we would just lay hands on each other and pray over each other, anoint each other with oil. And, and we would just desire to see God use and, and refine and purify and, and bless what He was doing in each person's life. And you know that you could do things like that for others, even at family worship. We, we should have family altars. What we see today is we have, you know, the family TV room. We have the family this, the family game night, the family movie night, the family this night, the family that night. But we don't have family altars, we don't have family prayer, and we don't have family worship anymore, and we wonder why our children aren't serving God. We didn't teach them. We didn't teach them. Do you realize that... that your Sunday school teacher gets your children for maybe 52 hours a year? Maybe? And they're in your home over 2,000 hours a week, a month. How many times? And yet, Sunday morning, even if you came every single Sunday morning, they would have 52 hours a year. That's it. And you, you want to have, you want to relegate your children's faith to somebody else that only spends 52 hours when we spend the whole week with them, the whole month with them. And I'm not talking about just children. I'm talking about as men of God, we're called to lead our wives. As husbands, we're called to lead our wives. And you might say, well, my husband's not leading me. Well, then you need to step up and, sh and show your husband how the Lord is doing this. What the Lord desires. But family worship has to be restored. We're supposed to occupy territory for the king. Amen? Do you know that God gave you a home not so that you can just sit your, you know, watch Mayberry? God gave you a home not just so that you can watch Mayberry and, and listen to the, the Saints ball game or listen to this. God gave you a home so that he can live in it. It's supposed to be territory for the king. One of my favorite stories about the Jewish people is that whenever they built a home, uh, tradition says in, in the Mishnah that they would always leave one wall. You know, they, four, you got four walls, right? They would always leave one wall without any kind of finish on it. No sheetrock, no brick, nothing. One wall. Why? So that they would always know this is not forever. This is not permanent. This is not mine. Because what we do is we get in, we get in comfortable in our four walls, and this is our territory, this is my time, this is me time, this is all about this, and we lose sight of the fact that God wants to occupy that territory too. Even the things that we watch on TV, like I said earlier, to the things that we listen, everything's supposed to be honoring to the Lord. So everything that we do is supposed to be some kind of territory that the Lord occupies. Are you with me? The last one is that in you. The last one that I want to share with you before we, we change course is that God wants to occupy territory in you. Inner growth. And you know that John 15 is one of my favorite chapters. It says, Jesus said, abide in me and I in you, and you will what? Bear fruit. 
Abide in me and I in you and you will bear fruit. God wants to occupy territory in you. God wants to see more of himself in your life every day, every year, every season. The, the, the peace that God has given you should be growing. The, the gifts of the Spirit that God has given us should be growing. Our prayer life should be growing. Our time in the Word of God should be growing. But not just up here. You see, we don't, we don't study the Word of God just so that we can get an encyclopedia between our ears and we can just regurgitate information. God doesn't give us the Word for information he gives it to us for transformation. Revelation is what the Spirit of God does. He takes information and it becomes revelation. And guess what happens to you and me? We get transformation. Transformation is what God's looking for. And, and God does want to save us, but after he saves us, he wants to transform us and renew us in his spirit. We should be more godly every day. There should be more of the Spirit of God in us every day. There should be more fruit for the kingdom of God in us every day. Jesus said this in John 15. He said that you will bear fruit. And you know what he said that God did? God would do? He said God would come and he would look. And if you weren't bearing fruit, you know what he would do? This is John 15. You can look at it. He said if you're not bearing fruit, he'll throw you in the fire. He'll take you out. Throw you in the fire. But you know what he's going to do if you're bearing fruit? How many of you think that you're bearing fruit for the king? You don't have to raise your hand, but if you think, you say, I'm bearing fruit for the king. Well, guess what he said he's going to do to you? He's not going to give you a, a hand clap. He's not going to give you an attaboy. You know what he's going to do? Prune you. He's going to get out the tweezers. He's going to get out the scissors. He might even have to get the hacksaw out on some of the things in my life. But he's not content with where I'm at, and he's not content with where you're at. And there's areas in, in our own lives that we can't see, that he can see. He can see through things. He can see through us. He can see through our situation. We can come up with 99 different reasons why we didn't do what we were supposed to do, but God knows why. When God asked Adam, Adam, where are you? He knew exactly where Adam was. He was asking Adam so Adam could see what was in Adam. And when he prunes us, it's so that we can see we're not all there yet. Even Paul said that. I have not arrived. I'm reaching forth, right? To the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul said. What does that mean to reach forth? That means that there's things that are hindering me now that I've got to continually let go of. Whatever God needs to prune out of me, Lord, prune it. Whatever I don't need in my life, Lord, take it out of my life. There may be bad influences. I may have bad friends in my life. I may have bad relationships. I may have toxic relationships. Maybe I'm just too addicted to CNN or Fox News. Maybe I'm just allowing the wrong things in between my ears and down into my heart. Don't ever forget, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We allow things into our life and then we wonder why we don't have the peace of God. When was the last time we got alone with the Word of God? Instead of allowing CNN or Fox News to tell you what to think, let God tell you what to think. Let God renew you. Let God be your strength. Let God be the source of your life. So many times this is going to segue into this next part, this last part. I know you're ready for it. 
This last part is going to segue into it. Is, 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 there are things that prohibit us. There are things that prohibit us from occupying territory for the kingdom. And you may probably be thinking of some right now. The Lord may be telling you, there's some areas in my life that's keeping me from occupying certain territory. Pastor, I know you done said that about waxing my truck, but I just can't stop. Whatever the case may be. One, one area right now that I'll, I'll just touch on, uh, there's, well, let me, let me get to four of them. Let me get to four of them. Number one, there's personal vanity. I, and I've touched on that. That's why I want to lead with it. Personal vanity. You know what? Something in, the Bible describes as vain worship. Vain worship is when it's empty. It means it's of no value. Do you know that you can have vain worship even when you come to church? Because your, your mind can be on the color of the carpet, the color of the paint, who's wearing that, why did they, see, why did they do this, why did they do that, um, the, 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 you know, I got food cooking, I got beans on the grill, I got this going on and that going on, and we got all kinds of stuff going on and our hearts a million miles away from God, but our lips are singing, I surrender all. That's vain worship. That's vain worship. It's empty. It, there's, there's no heart to it. There's no heart to it. God desires us to worship with the heart, not our mouths only. And so there are things that we have as personal vanity. And what does that mean? Those are things that we do that have no eternal value. If you do things that have no eternal value, it could keep you from occupying territory for the king. When self comes first. When self comes first. When, when, when things happen to us or when situations or circumstances arise, we must stop thinking about what are we going to do about it. We should be thinking about what does God want me to do about this. Somebody doesn't treat me right at work. Somebody doesn't treat me right at home. Somebody, you know, one of the classic responses is if you get mistreated somewhere, one of the most classic responses is, buddy, you don't know who you're dealing with. You're going to talk to me like that? I'm going to talk to you like this. You don't know who you're messing with. What, it, what we're doing is we're, we're handling situations from a place of self. But what God desires us to do is handle situations from a place of godliness. How would God want me to handle being mistreated? Would God want me to walk a second mile? Yes. Yes, he would. Would God want me to grumble and complain while I walk the second mile? No. No, he wouldn't. So you see, you can even do the right thing, but with the wrong spirit. Does God want you to turn the other cheek in certain situations? Yes. Does God want you to walk the second mile? Yes. What does it mean to walk the second mile? What does that mean? That means when somebody asks you to do something that puts you out, go above and beyond. And do it with excellence. I don't think Jesus ever did anything without excellence. I think everything he did was beautiful and perfect. And, and, and one of the things that he's called us to do is to go that second mile too. But what we do is, we'll, well, the Lord told me to turn the other cheek. But man, if you do that again, he didn't tell me to turn a third cheek. He told me to forgive, you know, 70 times 7, and I'm counting. I done got your number. You do that one more time, your 70 times 7 is up, and I'm about to... That's what we do. This is whenever, whenever self begins to take on the front instead of, instead of living the way God wants us to live. 
Well, if you don't like my temper, buddy, you're just going to have to deal with it. I was born with it. God made me this way. If you were born again, I promise you, God didn't make you that way. Because when you're born again, you're a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are made new in Christ Jesus. You are not who you used to be if you're a new creature in Jesus. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter what your granddad did or your granddad did. It doesn't matter what your family history is. If you're in Christ, you're a new creature. Hallelujah. If you're in Christ, you're a new creature. Hallelujah. You don't have to be who you were, and you don't have to be who your family says you were. You can be who God says you are. These are, by the way, I have these described with all Ps. These are things that preoccupy us. If you're preoccupied, you can't occupy. Makes sense. If you're preoccupied with your personal vanity, guess what? You can't occupy territory for the king. If you're preoccupied with politics, guess what? Can't occupy territory for the king. One of the problems that we see with politics, what is it? What's the problem with politics? It's because we're running to men for things that only God can give. One of the most dangerous things that Israel did is whenever they would make uh, agreements with Egypt or they would make agreements with this king or that king instead of trusting God. God has called us to come to Him as our source, as our provider, as our protector. Amen? And it's good to know when you have righteous leaders and unrighteous leaders, but you know what? God's higher than our leaders. God is the one who sets people in office. Promotion comes from the Lord. He sets one in and He takes one down. Amen? The Bible also says that the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He turns it whithersoever he will. So it doesn't matter if, if, if Jim Buck or Jim Bob or Tim Bob or any other Bob is in office as the leader of any country. That person's heart is in God's hand. And God can turn that heart any which way he wants. So it doesn't matter if he's surrounded with ungodly leaders. It doesn't matter if he's surrounded by satanic leaders. It doesn't matter if he's surrounded by the Legion of Doom. Guess what? His hand is in God's. His heart is in God's hand. And God can turn him any way he wants to. We as the church have been called to pray. Not sit on the edge of our seat, biting our fingernails on the next thing that CNN or Fox News is going to tell us about what's going to happen. God knows what's going to happen. God is not on edge. God's not biting his fingernails. God is in control. And he's told the church to pray. Not worry. Not fear. Not fear monger. And not put our hope and trust in men. God's called us to put our hope and our trust in Him. And I know this is not popular because our flesh is like, yeah, but we got we to gotta sign up people. We got to lead a drive, voter registration drive. We got to do this. We got to, no, we got to pray. We've got to press through the flesh and get to the throne and touch the heart of God. And, and, and when God moves on America, it'll be all right. I pray God just takes out all of it. CNN, MSNBC, the, DNC, RNC, take it all out. But you know what? My hope is not in men. My hope has to rest in God. In God alone. 
Now, I'm, I'm not trying to make light of the situation. I'm not, but I'm trying to get you to see that we serve a higher power. And he has not relinquished control. The thing that he does is he moves when his people pray. He, did, he set it up to move when his people pray. If prayer didn't work, he wouldn't tell us to pray. If prayer didn't move the heart of God, he wouldn't tell us to pray. But when his people pray, he comes. And what we need in America is the people of God to pray. If you look whenever uh, God told Solomon when he built the temple and he said if, if, if the rain stops coming and the land starts you know, being inhabited by the enemy, here's what you do, Solomon. You get the whole nation to turn. No. He said if my people, if my people, that's the godly people, right? You know that you can't get the ungodly people to do that. Come on. If my people who are called by my name, what's his name? Jesus. If my people who are called by my name shall what? Humble themselves. Turn from their sins. Right? Repent. Pray. Seek his face. He will do what? Hear. He will hear. He will hear from heaven. He will, and he will heal our land. What is God waiting on? Is God waiting on us to elect the right leader? Come on. Is God waiting on us to elect the right leader? No. God's waiting on us to seek his face, to turn from our sins, to repent, to seek him. God's waiting on us to pray. God's waiting on us to get right with him. And then he will hear and he will heal. I don't know if that's going to happen in time. I don't know if the church is too hard-headed and too caught up in TV and YouTube videos and waxing their truck for the eighth time that year. I don't know if the church is too caught up in the things of the world or not. But I do know this. God said if we seek his face, if we do that, he'll hear. And that's what I preach. That's what I believe. That's what I'm going to plant my feet on. That's what I'm going to put my heart on. My, that's what I'm going to stand on is what God said. The second Chronicles, right? 7, 14. That's what you need to go back to and see. God was not waiting on Solomon to elect new leaders. He wasn't waiting on Solomon to go around, take a survey, what everybody wanted them to do. He was waiting on the people to come back home and to get right and to seek his face and pray. Big thing is humble themselves. Amen? And you know what? Last time I checked, the Bible said God hadn't changed. I don't know about you, but it said God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I don't think God's waiting on us to sign up another thousand people in our parish for, to vote. I think God's waiting on the church to bring a thousand more people into the church to humble themselves, to pray, and to seek His face. I think that's what God's waiting on. Amen? The, and, and the other two, real quickly, is pleasures of the world. If we're, caught, if we're preoccupied with things like travel, getting a fourth boat, buying a third house, getting an 18th job so that we can get an 18th car, guess what? If we're preoccupied with those things, it's going to be hard for us to occupy territory for the king. Sometimes we have to say no to stuff so that we can say yes to Jesus. So not every door that opens is for you. Sometimes the wrong door will present itself.
And you need to pray and ask the Lord for wisdom and discernment. Why? So that you can have a better life? No, so that you can serve Him better. Well, Lord, I, 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 I know this and I want this, and, but the Lord gave you His Spirit so that you can have light in the darkness, a counselor, a helper. And God gave you a gift in you. God has given a gift to you. Why? So that you can serve Him. So that you can further the kingdom. So that you can occupy territory. And last one is people pleasers. People pleasers. You know that so many people are, are people pleasers. You, can't, you, you, you won't do something because you don't know what people will think about you. You, don't, you, don't, you won't do this because this crowd will think like this about you and this crowd will think like that about you. And you won't go do this because they may think bad about you. People pleasers are, are those that, that value the opinion of men more than the opinion of God. There's another side to people pleasers, though. There's another side to people pleasers. Not only that side. You probably get that side. But the other side of being a people pleaser is someone who looks for affection from men rather than the affection of God. We, in, in, instead, of, instead of looking to God for his love, we look for the affirmation of other people. You know what? There may be a time when you have to go against the grain. You may have to do things that upset people. And if you live and die off of the applause of men, you may not make it. There's times that I've got to say things from the pulpit that I know are not pleasing to the flesh. There are things that you can say to people that will cause them to love you, adore you, clap for you, shout. But there's times that you have to say the truth. And if you're a people pleaser, you may not be able to occupy territory for the king because there's going to be times when you have to say the, the, the tough thing. When you have to say the tough thing. And if you desire somebody's patting you on the back, somebody applauding for you, you probably will compromise on that day. You have to make the decision in yourself beforehand that you're going to let the Word of God tell you who you are. Not men. Not men. Don't be a people pleaser. Seek to please God. God has called us to love Him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And to love our neighbor likewise. The best way that you can love your neighbor is to share the gospel. The second best way that you can love your neighbor, occupy territory for the king. Occupy territory for the king. The Lord's coming back. I didn't share this whole parable with you, but the Lord's coming back. And when he comes back, he's going to call all Christians up. He's going to call all of us up, and he's going to ask what we did with what he gave us. Some of us, we don't even know what he gave us. That's how far we haven't even been occupying. We don't even know what he gave us. But he's going to call you, and he's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? And those that did not do anything with what God gave them, it will not fare well. But those that did will be blessed. This morning, I know that as, 